Hello, welcome to the Real Work Podcast with me, Fleur Emery. Unedited conversations with women who are changing up the world of work. Extraordinary women who are founders, thought leaders or trailblazers. Here to inspire and inform your idea of what's possible for you. This week on the Real Work Podcast, we welcome our guest, Tida Hahn, who is um, a curator of transformative experiences. She will describe what she does in more detail. It's very unusual. It's very interesting. And the conversation incorporates <laughs> Leo Sayer. Good luck. Um, trans, trans, <laughs> spiritual transcendence, um, different creation myths, um, dog smuck and um, um, uh, Hobbit world. Is that does that cover it? Do you think? I don't think there's even got any hope of covering it in in a short, concise intro. So I think you've done very well. Let's just fire. Just just roll the tape. The summer is here. Life's opening At up. The Welcome to the podcast Sorry. to you. Do you want to say it again? <laughs> My friend went to um, Copacabana Beach and stayed in the Copacabana Palace because of that song. Even though the song ends in death uh, and madness, which is not oh, what one... details, details. <laughs> Just do a little titty shimmy and it's all forgotten. <laughs> I'm not wearing a bra. If you say, Buckers, if you say titty, that means that our podcast, we've only got about 100 listeners and we'll have to put a PG rating on it and our listeners will drop down to like 20. No, I'll just blank it out. That, you've just, you just cost us half our <laughs> listenership with that. Whereas Barry Manilow can, can you... merrily sing about madness and death and destruction, but nobody cancels him, do they? No, nobody's no. ever cancelled Barry. Barry's untouchable. <laughs> Hi. Hi. That is my cat. I cannot What's do What's he saying? He is What's saying, he saying, let me out, out, which I could do, but it's very windy. He's Let I, him out. I could let bring him it, out. Bring the cat gone. Shall I? You can't keep him trapped in there. If that's what he's like in minute one, what's he going to be like? I let him out. He's going to phone the police or something. He's now an outdoor cat who has the entire new forest at his disposal. This is very new. But he wants to be squashed against your face. He wants to be in it. Back in a sec. It sounds like Tiu's got one of those old-fashioned... You know those hair dryer things that they put on your head in the hair salon when you're having your perm? <laughs> Sounds like she's got ten of those in the background. You hear that? What is it? Ask her. Is it a washing machine? <laughs> Tia, what, what, you've got some um, ambient noise, which we don't like. Tia, are you doing some washing? Have you got the washing machine air conditioning? It's a fridge. It's, wow. it's a fridge which I can't control. Um, however, I could move into the bedroom, which would be further away from the fridge. Ooh. Oh. Oh. Hello friends, it's Buckers here, coming to you in post-production to offer you some much-needed context for what you're about to hear, and also offer you a get-out if you really can't be bothered with it and you just want to skip straight to the interview, where we talk about TU's very interesting work. So, at this point in the recording, TU temporarily disconnected from the session while she moved away from her incredibly noisy fridge leaving Fleur and I to entertain ourselves whilst we waited. Now, obviously, the only thing we were ever going to do at this point is perform a two-woman show of Barry Manilow's Copacabana. 
We then descend into a convoluted anecdote from Fleur, which we refer to as a flanecdote, about Leonard Cohen, finishing off with another little musical treat for you in the form of Leo Sayer. I can offer no logical explanation for why this happened, and I can only apologise if you're tied up with something at the moment, which means you cannot reach for the fast-forward button. If you do want to give this little musical interlude a miss, you'll want to skip forward to 9 minutes 40. Yes, it did take that long. Otherwise, please do take your seats. The show is about to start. Who shot who at at the the cover? On the real work, the real work podcast. Oh, oh, why'd you put that in my head? Put something cool in my head. Oh, my God. I'm scratching listeners together, buckers, and you're just frittering them. Maybe, maybe that's, maybe we haven't had enough (gasps) singing on the podcast, and that's where the problem lies. (laughs) Should we do a poll? All together now. (laughs) Oh, it's peaceful in here. Feather bow is optional. But recommended. Da, 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 da. Bam, da, da, da. Bam, we were long and we had each other, but a oh, more. It's terrible. The real work, the real work podcast. Can't do too much or we'll get done for copyright. Will we? We'll have Barry Manilow's lawyers on our backs. I think my machine's going. <laughs> it's gone on the far spin. Is that your washing machine? I'm sorry, yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, it's gone on the far spin. Um, one of the funniest, well, not the funniest, but the most peculiar legal wrangles between musicians over, like, you stole my tune, you stole my tune, was um, Leonard Cohen, apparently bore a grudge for his entire life, even when he was like wandering around the Greek islands with no shoes on, like being Mr. Sex Machine. He was seething inside with a personal vendetta against someone who he believed he had had stolen his most treasured melody from famous Blue Raincoat and used it in a pop song and made a fortune and like made a career off the back of it. And he really, he spent a lot of time thinking about this guy and really deep resenting it. Who was the guy who was um, ruining Leonard Cohen's piece to you? That's a question. To you is not plugged in. The washing machine's going. The washing machine is on And one. this anecdote, this flan anecdote is in the long Come grass. on, get to the end of this flan anecdote. <laughs> Put us out of our misery. Leo Sayer! Leo Sayer! Yeah, I know! Apparently, <laughs> Leonard Cohen really, really hated Leo Sayer. You do and came by with the lock of your hair. I did it. And then it's like, <laughs> I need you. I, I just saw my eyes and I'm with you. you. Yeah. So Leonard's version went nowhere apart from into the bedroom of a, you know, on vinyl of a few of T's friends at Oxford, and <laughs> and Leo's version well, it's much better was at the end of every single pub wedding 
in the UK ever. So, much better song. Much better song. Are you Team Leo or Laughing Len? Team Len or Team Leo? Leo all the way. Leo all the way. I can't stop loving you. That's another hit from Leo. You make me feel like dancing. He's is massive. I want to dance the night away. Another good one is Take Me Baby. I'm all yours. Yeah, that's amazing. That's do just what you want to do with my love. Oh my God, that's so good. Standing here it's along so... with you. <laughs> Wonder what it is that I'm supposed to do. Because there's so much drama in that song, isn't there? I know. Leo brings the drama that oh. Len's too shy of. He shies away from it, but... Yeah. Len's like <laughs> an iceberg lettuce. <laughs> and Leo is like a jalapeno. Can you hear me now? Yes, <sighs> we can. Great. We've just been imagining... Um, we've just been... Bunker's reenactment of that song... The Leo says song, just imagine cleaning your teeth, just getting ready for bed. You walk into the bedroom and off the off the top of the wardrobe leaps Leo Sayer. Sing it. Sing it, baby. baby. <laughs> I'm all yours. <laughs> do just what you want to do with my love. Standing here. With you. And what a beautiful voice you have. My bed is quite small that he'd probably do himself a mischief. <laughs> okay, shake yourself off, strap yourself in. Here is the actual interview with our guest, T.U. Dahan. Welcome to you. Thank your, you. For... Um, your um, job title, mm. Head of Wonderment, what is it? Um, ritual designer. Mm -hmm. Not rich wool. <laughs> somebody misheard me and said cashmere. <laughs> Vicuña. <laughs> She was drunk at the time, but nonetheless. Um, ritual, as in moments of meaning, non-religious moments of meaning. Ritual designer is the sort of headline. And then we also have creative facilitator. Mm -hmm. And slightly annoyingly, but nonetheless, I like it, idea doula, which is what somebody called me, and it's stuck because I help people to birth their ideas. Very nice. Um, very nice. <laughs> I love that. Which part? Such a little sniggering about that ritual. Brilliant. Ritual. The ritual, I know. It or, made me. It stuck me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The reason, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast, apart from the fact that it's nice spending time with you, is that you've kind of written your own job description in the truest sense of the word. Because imagine if we went back in time. Mm. Oh, actually, let's not, because you remember from when I was younger. Let's not. Let's let's gloss <laughs> over that. We'll um, and. You said to your younger self that this was your job. Now that's a, it's such a leap, isn't it? It's, although it's been incremental, you've edged towards that. Well, it's interesting. Somebody asked me earlier today um, to tell them how I got into doing this. And I found myself doing a very truncated version of the last 16 years, which I haven't told in such short form. And it made me see that it sounds like it would be a leap, but when you choose the perspective of seeing the through line, it's evident. So I, earlier today, had to explain to somebody, they said, how did you get into doing what you're doing? And I suddenly found myself doing a merry skip through the last 16 years and went, oh no, it's all consistent. And even if you go back to the bit before that, 
there are certain things that go right the way through it. So yes, the Mary Skip. Okay, so in 2005, I hired a treehouse village in a forest in Devon and I invited a handful of people to come and be my guinea pigs to see if I was right in thinking that I could curate and create experiences that would connect them to their imagination and their creativity and their sense of wonder. And I ended up with this brilliant motley crew of people who were primarily at the time in their 30s, who spanned, you know, there were a couple of business investors, there was a drummer, there was a photographer, there was an actress, there was a whole, like a mishmash of people. And I just got to test out all of these different exercises that I had put together. And to my delight, they all had a big epiphany and a big shift and they all experienced this reconnection with this part of themselves that was able to experience this sense of wonder and imaginative aliveness and one of them only one as it happened at that time was a parent so I had at the time planned to make this for all human beings because everybody needs that but this guy wrote to me afterwards and said this has transformed my parenting he said as a result of this weekend he had a then four-year-old daughter. He went into the garden with her and on his hands and knees experienced her garden for two hours with her in charge for the first time. It had never occurred to him to let her perspective on the world inform his to that degree. So he crawled around the garden, including finding a gap in the fence into the neighbor's garden, which he hadn't realized was there. And they had all these adventures. And he wrote to me saying, I think everybody needs this, but I think parents really need this because when they connect with that part of themselves, it informs how they relate to their child. And so I then thought, okay, if I'm listening to the natural growth of this thing is quite hard to fill places on residential weekends if it's just for your own you know well-being or whatever people don't go on that many retreats and they might go on one a year if you're lucky but you're kind of in a crowded marketplace and I was like but parents they really need this so I then put on a pilot for parents but all these parents said we can't come without our children I was like your children don't need this they're really good at it you need it get childcare, and they said we can't so I then thought, okay, well, let's follow that one then. How about if I do make it for kids? So I then developed a pilot for families, hired a hobbit village this time in Wales, which is an incredible place, put on a pilot, realised it was a very different creature, needed more staff, because I could do it on my own if it was all adults, but I needed a whole team if there were kids, because I needed to separate the parents from the kids for a bit to take the parents through a process. And then, long story short, made it a not-for-profit, applied for funding, got a quarter of a million quid from the lottery and ran it as a not-for-profit for several years, running residential weekends every third week for a number of years in Devon. And all that time I was learning about the subtle art of creating an experience where people would go through some sort of awakening or transformation without it being heavy-handed, you know, without going, this is this is the outcome, you're going to do this, but more rather creating the space in which they might have that experience and letting them connect back with their sense of joy and playfulness and curiosity. And that can't be too contrived. So I learned the art of creating a container in which something can happen. And then out of that, somebody said, do you do weddings? I was like, that's a good idea. And then 
do you do funerals? Well, now there's a thought, you know, so the same principle, which is to create an experience where people connect to some part of themselves, to the heart, to nature, to creativity, to something bigger than themselves, that that whole skill set was practiced again and again and again in various different settings and different contexts. But it really was the same thing. It was about creating an experience where my job was not to dictate the detail, but to hold a space lovingly and carefully and taking care of all of the edges so that people could pop or have their own realizations and that those realizations were more likely to be around what's really important to them you know what are the moments of meaning that deeply move them or what are the relationships that are most important or what are the dreams or the ideas that they often shelve because life gets too busy and too full but actually that through line goes right the way through every single iteration of it and it's still pretty much the same thing it's just that the for it's no longer not for profit I don't do weekends with kids anymore um I don't do weddings and funerals anymore either but I do create experiences that allow people to have that kind of awakening and I tweak it according to the experience the nature of the awakening or the client or the context so yeah is that a merry skip that's helpful? I like it. And it was merry. What's okay. really interesting about the time scale, that, that the time span, that, that the beginning of that career and, and where you are now is that you've got all the words to describe it now. Mm. They're in, you know, they, they're trendy words. Like they're, mm. people use them like container and making space and um, holding space that's people understand that concept you know we make space for like even mm-hmm. in real work it's like we I create a space I'm not a teacher I mm-hmm. you know I I lead and I bring my energy and commitment um but they we didn't have those words back then did we depends where you're coming from I came from a whole bunch of personal development and creative endeavor which did have those words okay honestly. so it's just it, that we've caught up with that community that it's just it's just bled out into mindfulness for example I know a guy who teaches mindfulness in the house of commons can you even imagine to cross party groups which I just find extraordinary the fact that that is a thing that he's managed to make that work I mean for a few years now um is unthinkable 10-15 years ago and so yes the kind of normalization of this sort of the benefits of inquiry or of of stillness or spaciousness I think it's partly to do with the state of the world asking people to come up with alternative ways of managing their mental and emotional and psychological health in an increasingly untenable and complex world. It's also just, it's it kind of works. So people have found that, you know, if you put in some of these elements into what used to be traditional normal life, perhaps it will actually make a positive impact in the same way that 30 years ago, you couldn't get olive oil in a supermarket or sun-dried tomatoes. And people were like, oh, actually, it's quite nice to cook with Mediterranean food. You know, I don't know if you are if you remember this. I'm I do remember. Up. I remember when my mum got her first avocado. Right. In the 70s at some yeah. point. And everyone came around to look at it. And um, <laughs> <laughs> kiwi fruit. But a bit a disappointed because it's not that exciting. <laughs> no, it was exciting where we lived. And... Um, Kiwi fruit when they started coming, and she used to call mum used to call them Chinese gooseberries. 
Mm. and make a dessert with Chinese gooseberry. Bring mm. out the Chinese gooseberry. We've eaten the avocado, the ceremonial. Everyone dressed like Rosemary's baby <laughs> in the orange kitchen with the William Morris strawberry print. And she's brought out the sacrificial avocado <laughs> that has um, has been consumed. And then to bring out the Chinese gooseberry, that was, that was the thing. So yeah, yeah and we are old enough to now. remember. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. kiwi fruits um, and asp—they're just like one of the mill now. So yeah, there's that there's that change, that social change. One of the things that strikes me when you describe Eyeshine, your early project, because I kind of had a sort of awareness of what was happening at the time, but was so sort of far up my own lower gastrointestinal tract <laughs> due to um, the problems of grinding addiction and low self-esteem that um, I didn't listen. I wasn't a very good listener when you told me about that stuff in those days. And um, now on reflection, as I really listen to what you're saying, I really think what was that like to be mm. in the Hobbit village in Wales, responsible for all of those expectant people, all mm. arriving, all those different people and all those children my question, and this is in a this is a straight question with no angle. How did you think you could do that? <laughs> it was really hairy, and we did lose a three year old for a couple of hours. Oh my god! So I'm glad you finished that sentence. I thought you were going to say smiling. He, we did lose a three year old. No, no, no. He was Ooh. so good at playing hide and seek, but he won, and there was a whole, like, there was a lot of people going. Boo! I, I hired people who I really trusted. We did have a couple of massive issues. Um, we also hired a massive troll costume, which was really scary. That's a terrible yeah. idea. Why would you do that? Kids hate costumes like that. And grown-ups in costumes, my kid hates Big Bird. And I'm like, well, look, Big Bird, it's fine. Listen, we all hate Big Bird, but you have a bit of Big Bird. And then you get Stevie Wonder. Then Ray mm. Charles is coming on soon. It's all right. No, Sesame Street, no, because of the big costumes especially one with massive teeth and like hiding in the forest we yeah it was a, we never did that again it was fine we it actually really worked the troll was actually in the end a hit but we had to write all sort of let look it was an improvised it was kind of so what i experienced that weekend which has never ceased to be a part of what happens when i design things is the synchronicity goes through the roof when you take a leap I find when you do something that's a little bit outside of your comfort zone, you go towards something that feels expansive, all sorts of bizarre and unpredictable magical things happen. So for example, we did a game where everybody sat on the floor, parents and children alike. It was quite a big group. It was like 30 something people. Um, and we told a story one sentence each. So the story went off in all sorts of directions and we tried to gear it to go in directions that we wanted to then fulfill as the weekend. We're like, can we make it kind of go in the direction of the troll? But uncontrolled by anybody in the team, they started talking about the red arrows. Did the red arrows fly overhead? Yes, they did. I swear <sighs> to God, somebody told the story about the red arrows and then the red arrows appear. They also said- Did it blow their mind? something about- Say it again. Did you give them ayahuasca? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> not my jam. That kind of, that path, it's not my path. We also had a thing where sweets were, in the story, sweets appeared in pink and white stripy paper bags. I bought 
pink and white stripy paper bags and like me and the floor like oh my god we can make so it was one of those things where wish fulfillment was very close to wish expression so it was oddly magical and that i have to say that one of the things I teach, there's a there's a class I teach called Engineering Serendipity, which sounds like a contradiction in terms because engineering is so linear and logical and deliberate and serendipity is so nebulous and odd and unpredictable and predicated upon chance. But the principles around engineering serendipity are how do you create the optimum conditions to allow for that kind of thing to happen? And one of the things is taking small risks and taking actions. It's one of them. There's lots of steps, but that's one of them. And my experience is that the more that you do this stuff, the more that you end up with inexplicable coincidences happening. So a lot of prep a lot of mistakes, a lot of um, thinking that we thought that children would like big trolls and finding out otherwise. And then also um, having endless meat, like slipping off out of the room and having conflabs like in the bedroom. Okay, what about little Johnny? Do you think we can, can we, can we set up a thing for little Johnny? Like, but hang on, as such and such is having a bit of a tough time. And how about we, you know, like there were constant, constant check-ins and reiterations and checking in. Yeah, there were all sorts of challenges that we didn't get much sleep that weekend, but it was really good fun. It's kind of um, a bit like the Truman Show. In what way? Yeah. <laughs> in in a way of like creating a benevolent version yes, of okay. that. So like um, adjusting mm-hmm. someone's reality in order to um, support their um in you know sense of connection yes and that is actually very close to so so i was part of an immersive theater production in in america i went to get involved i went to get involved in a company who create 36 hour long experiences for and about one person with an audience of is it me (laughs) it's not you Yes, <laughs> that part of my personality has been passed on to my kid. I've got this brilliant video of her when she was about three, and I was taking her to vote, and I was explaining to her, and I said, "You're not voting, is yeah, yeah." It's when um, we all, you know, we all have to decide who's going to be in charge of everyone. And I say, "Yeah, that's right, you know." And we decide who the prime minister is going to be, and blah, blah blah. And he's in charge of everyone. And she just looked at me and she went, "Mom, is it me?" <laughs> and it's like it's okay. <laughs> It's okay. It's not you. And she was like, okay. And you carried on colouring. It's fine. So, okay. So a 36-hour immersive theatre experience that's not about me. Who is it about? Um, you apply. So people fill in a questionnaire. It's really interesting. They they basically, they're, they're called Odyssey Works. They do, they have a brilliant book called Transformative Experiences for One. Their work is very close to mine in lots of ways, except that it's a bit more elaborate and and more honed on one person, but we will hopefully be collaborating again. I have, we have collaborated a few times over the years. So what they do is, okay, have you ever seen the movie, The Game? Yes, I know that was very, very frightening. Very bad, bad. Fluffy version of that. So in The Game, Michael Douglas plays a kind of egocentric um, capitalist, Um, sort of super rich guy who's put through a personalized ongoing 
curated experience that he doesn't know if it's real or not so basically a bunch of actors come into his world and they take him i think he gets kidnapped at one point there's all sorts of things that happen to him like they sort of designed to break down his ego exactly and ultimately it's all for him but he has to go to a very dark place first Mm. so this is the benevolent version of that so if you were to take out the guns and the darkness and the destruction of the soul and replace it with um fun fun maybe or you know um nuanced loving kind of interventions in your life and then design a whole experience in collaboration with your friends and your family in order to get a better understanding of who you are and what what kind of transformation is it a posh version of big brother no it's um no it's more like a loving version of the treatment show yeah yeah it's 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 definitely not it you're not observed no one observed there's no audience so you're the only there's only an audience member for one so just to give you the stages there is a questionnaire that is incredibly detailed takes a couple of hours to fill in and that's the first hurdle and that has questions like what's your dominant sense what's your relationship like with your father what's a hidden fear what's your favorite food you know what what was your first memory like all sorts of probing questions that give them a sense that's of the like potential. the scientologists is have you it? ever done that? Uh, have you ever done their quiz on Tottenham no. Road? We used to go get really baked when we were students and go and get audited by the Scientologists on Tottenham Court Road. They, um, Tom Cruise wasn't there. But, um, they put you in this little hutch and they ask you that exact, all of those questions. So no Scientologists nor Tom Cruise are in any proximity to this project. I promise you that. Or Michael Douglas. Or Michael Douglas. But what happens is, that when they do it, when they're putting a shout out for participants, a bunch of people fill in this questionnaire, and then the people who are in the company go through the answers and find the one that's the most interesting potential for creative. You have to be quite psychologically robust, right? How are there? Yeah. How do you? Is this so something then, that you can sort of still do now in this uh, in this day of um, you know of um, um, litigious recriminations? Do you know what I mean? So it's changed in terms of they now teach other people to do it for each other so their book is brilliant and it's like how could you do this for a loved one or or what is the principle of immersive experience design i mean i do do something like that like when i'm creating an experience for somebody i it's a different process but it's not so dissimilar i try to get a full understanding of who the person is and where they're coming from and what they might need or if it's a client same sort of process but just just so you know the stages of that the odyssey works thing is questionnaire then they go through for the most interesting answers then they will do a deep dive with two or three of the people to find out about their mental resilience for example to make sure that they are up for having their world completely bizarrely tweaked and then they ask for all of the contact details of all of their friends and family and colleagues and then they spend six months basically speaking to everybody you've ever met who you're willing to divulge and finding out all of these other people's points of view of who you are and then they get together and they go on retreat a group of between 10 and 20 artists of varying disciplines and they spend 10 days just completely absorbed in this person's world so they'll listen to their favorite music they'll eat their favorite food they'll all read their favorite novel and together they start designing experiences based upon what they understand this person to be and those experiences could be anything from um, a series of clues that lead you to an opera to being that is about your life to um, a book that is written 
for you that is dropped through your letterbox that then multiple iterations of the book wow. are dropped through where words are removed <laughs> and the book suddenly wow. starts to disappear through to um a cellist appearing at random points of your week or your month playing the same melody and you know it goes insane like they they have there's not much they haven't done but it's all done with love and with care and with attention so i was co-producing one of these because i wanted to bring it over to the uk and my job was to take care of the person at the center of it really and there's you know a cast of 40 there's a team you know the person has no idea that this is going on they they, they know that something's coming because they've applied for it but they don't realize that there's 40 people who are living and breathing them and there's actually quite an interesting relationship because there's such a lot of love and concern and care and creative thought that goes it's like having you they don't know that, that this is so the, the question it, is but... is can they feel themselves being loved from a distance if you have all of those people around you thinking about you and loving you without telling you or coming near to you can you feel it that's my question i don't know that they did in the run-up to it but they definitely would have done during and after but that question is a great question because that pertains to i mean the power of there's prayer a whole, there's, and things like that. So in that well, yeah, region. and the concept of pronoia, which is something yeah. I work with. So pronoia is a made-up word. It's the opposite of paranoia. Paranoia is the belief that everything in the universe is against you. Pronoia is the belief that everything in the universe is secretly conspiring on your behalf to shower you with blessings, like your child going, "Is it me?" at the at the yeah. <laughs> polling booth, or indeed the person at the centre of an immersive theatre experience going. Is it me? And the answer is yes. So pronoia is the chosen lens through which to imagine that the universe is con is is holding you with love all the time. And mm. what I'd, last night I led a workshop for a team scattered between England, Jamaica, and Holland, where they all basically use the concept of pronoia first of all to apply to their own lives in terms of how you can shift your own understanding of of the world it's not that it's the truth but it's an interesting lens to apply so mm. the magic question that instigates it is what if this were for me if something bad is happening or something good is happening the question makes you go what if this were perfectly so it's like a tool so pro the idea of pronoia is a tool so it's a practice it's like a cbt type thing like a, a mm. thought that you you offer yourself when things are happening as a way to shift your perception it's not that you actually believe that the world the because i get a bit stuck in that obviously as you would imagine but what if what if it yeah, yeah, were? Yeah, yeah, No, you don't... You, the world is not literally... Well, I mean, you could argue who knows what the world is doing because none of us have a clue. But, but there's, lots, but of, yeah, there's not... lots of difficult things because of all that. Yeah. You know, I just saw a... Um, when on my cycle ride this morning, I saw a freshly squashed herring gull, which is about the size of a turkey. You know, mm. death is right around the corner, isn't it? Mm. So, so it's like all, all that, you know, it's very... That, the whole... the um, there's a There's a manifestation craze you know it's particularly on mm -hmm. instagram and things like that which says oh you know meant to be you know the universe is for you and i always like i always think of like my the sea the squash seagull or the sad person at the end of my road and i think that doesn't work but having a lens that you can look through a pair of goggles that you can say okay i'm going to put on my maybe yeah. maybe this has got a gift for me goggles that's 
doable for anyone, it's right? It's just a line mm. of inquiry. It's not supposed to be the truth, but yeah. it's a useful, the question, what if this were for me? When you explore that answer, it's often really possible to reinterpret situations as something which you can learn from or benefit from or share with others or do more good with. But the other thing is, it's not just applying it to self. Once you entertain that that concept you go what if that's true for everybody all the time so the workshop that I ran last night starts with the inquiry about applying it to self and then you go and write you write a love letter to a stranger literally a physical love letter on pen and paper and you put it in an envelope and on the outside you write if you find this letter it is for you and then you go out and you leave it somewhere and as well as leaving it somewhere you take with you chalk and luggage tags and sharpie pens and balloons and googly eyes and stickers and anything else that you fancy and you basically sneak around looking for opportunities to leave little notes or encouraging pretty things or something out in the world so that other people will start to experience this benevolence being left in their wake and the other instruction this is really crucial is you start to look for evidence of it as well as intervene. So first of all, you apply it to yourself. Then you start to intervene. Like you might sneak into a, a cafe and pay for the next person's coffee and then sneak out again. You know, you do you commit random acts of kindness, which in itself just makes everything feel quite sneaky and joyful. But then you also look for evidence of it being done. And once you start looking, it is everywhere. It's quite bizarre. Like last night, three separate participants found googly eyes have <laughs> been stuck on random objects around the world somebody found a labyrinth somebody found a temple somebody found like rainbow you know rainbows drawn on sticks and as soon as you start looking for people committing random acts of kindness and beauty if you actually look at the person helping somebody else across the road or the infrastructure that is designed to make something easier for somebody you can find evidence to support it all the time and that also impacts your choice of lens the Yes, first of all. Secondly, <laughs> secondly, though, it would be remiss of me not mm. to poke this a bit. Go on. So my pokage would consist of talking about my favourite subject because I'm learning about it, is privilege and mm. um, a sense of ownership that I can... Um, it's up to me. I can decide to, I can go out into the world with my um, googly eyes that I've bought and I can, um, someone else who is, I, I perceive them to be less happy than me. I can, I can decide what's going to make them happy. There's a kind of, is there a sort of um, a um, colonial kind of thing around? I decide what makes people happy. This is the happy thing. I put this here to make you happy. Do you know what I mean? Is there a thing around that? Because is it not none of my business? Like, is it none of my business to decide what people make people happy or not, or it's up to, up to them or what kindness is or how, because I'm deciding how they should receive it. But you're not the, 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 yes, I totally you agree. Mean? Absolutely. There, there's some quite clear instructions in terms of not imposing your will on anybody else's personal space or in any way that could be construed as direct, but rather leaving. So yesterday morning, I had a conversation with a guy who was doing some work in the place that I'm in at the moment. And he told me that he knows somebody who goes and canoes around the Thames and picks up litter and that 
that this is his sort of, you know, act of service. And while picking up litter, he found a message in a bottle. And the message in the bottle read something about when you don't take risks, you risk even more. One of those kind of classic quotes about saying, make sure you take a risk. And this guy had apparently been unhappily single for 15 years, had a massive crush on this girl, had never told her, took this bottle home. She came round for tea. The thing was on the wall above and he decided to tell her how he felt and they've been married for 15 years. So the, so my answer to your question is the person putting that message in the bottle was not imposing on the recipient because mm. they had no idea. But he happened to have a positive outcome. He could have thought, yeah, you know, I'm going to put all my money on black on, or black on black or red. Yeah, and it went that's it, true. And it go against him. That's right. So you, so the point being that you're not deciding on what is good luck or happy for the other person. You're just making a gesture and letting it go out in the world, much like a message in a bottle. There is, there is no direct link other than we are all affected by everybody all the time, whether or not we want to be, because we live in a continuum. We live in a world where something happens miles away from us and we're deeply affected. You know, it's not, we no longer live in so the other thing about this particular practice is it brings you back into your community. So it's geographically located as opposed to digital or virtual or abstract yeah. or global. It has a kind of immediacy. But yes, you're right. There is there is no singular moral outlook, and nor should there be. The principle behind it is commit acts of kindness and don't, don't do that for a reward just be aware of your own ability to have to be kind and also notice how much of that is in the world it's when we talk about this stuff to you i really care about you because we've been friends for a long time and i'm always aware that i'm so sort of earthbound with it that i'm sort of like i love it like oh god like honestly do you know what an amazing amazing act of kindness would be around here oh. is um dog turds pick up the dog mm. turds <laughs> Like there's, mm. we've got seniors who live in in this road, and they just step in people's dog feces all the time. And it's like, so sometimes, yeah, I do. I pick up the odd dog turd, even though I don't have a dog anymore. And I've um, a couple of dead rats last week. <laughs> like clearing Ooh. up, like environmental stuff. That's the that's the reality of our neighbourhood. That's kind of really mm. what's happening in our neighbourhood. Do you know on my um, there's this website called Next Door or something, which is like in your locale, where, mm-hmm. uh, you, everyone sort of shares things. And there's a person going around at three o'clock in the morning, leaving rolls of toilet paper on people's doorsteps. And there's a whole thread going about it and no one knows who it is and why. And some people are quite worried about it. <laughs> so I, I'll tell you, you know, as the story emerges, I'll tell you if it's, a, um, if it's for a nefarious reason or not. But people kind of got a bit worried about it. There's, um, I mean, I do believe in this stuff, though. So I give you an example of when it happened to me in a really big... I, yeah. I've had some big ones. I've had some life changes like that. Mm. I had a really lovely one when there's a pianist, Yevgeny Kissin, who I'm a super fan of, and I never, you know, up until pre-pandemic, I never missed any of his concerts. He plays in the UK about twice a year. I'm always there. Absolutely love, love, love this pianist. And he lives in um, Moscow and he comes to the UK about twice a year. Anyway, once I was in a, um, I was in um, a poker game in a basement in Chinatown and um, someone came in who I knew who happened uh, and sat in the game next to me. Everyone else is strangers, sort of, you know, all the usual kind of poker clientele. The person who sat next to me, who works in classical music, I was saying, I was talking about, 
Yevgeny Kissin. I think I was listening. So they said, what are you listening to on your headphones? And I said, oh, it's this recording of this, blah, blah, blah. And I was talking impassioned about how amazing this musician is and how great he is, yeah. And this guy called Disco Dave, who um, is well known on the poker scene and is a, like a cockney, became irritated that I was speaking loudly and interrupting the game. And he jabbed his finger in my face across the table in front of all these people I didn't know. And he said something along the lines of, why don't you effing shut up about this guy? Um, who, who is he anyway? It's not like you're ever going to effing meet him or something. And at that point, I was kind of just prior to starting my first business. So I had no real, I was earning a living playing poker, but scraping, barely scraping. And I really was busy going nowhere. And it was so jarring, this kind of thing of just like, get back in your box that it, it was quite shocking. And I remember really like having a sort of long night of just thinking, oh my God, maybe I am just in la la land and I'm just, a, you know, or maybe I'm just in the, got my head in the clouds and, you know, life is, anyway, about five, five days, less than a week after that, I crossed the river from the West End to walk back to where I lived in Borough. And as I did, it was in the evening on my own. It was a summer evening. And um, Yevgeny Kissin is um, very distinctive looking. And um, he's quite an eccentric character. And he has a large Margaret Statcher style bouffon, which sometimes slopes slightly to the left. And um, in the moonlight, in the distance, I saw a silhouette of a slanted Tower of Pisa style bouffon. And I thought... It's him. It's him. So I, I sped up into a trot, a canter, intercepted said Buffon. I grabbed his arm. He was walking away, so I only saw him from behind, but I knew it was him. I knew it was. I just knew him my, deep in my soul. And I took his sleeve by the side and I said, excuse me. And he turned around in the moonlight and I looked, I was tall, and it was him. And I said... Um, Wow. Yevgeny Kissin and I grabbed his hand and I said you're Yevgeny Kissin and he went yes yes I am I am and his hair <laughs> waggled like that <laughs> and um, and then I did a burble of some description like oh my god I come to all your concerts and we did this thing and I love the thing and then, oh my god we always come and then I brought my mum and she loved it like all of that thing and then I just stopped looking at him and I was still shaking his hand and then he stopped and smiled at me. Then he looked down at our hand. <laughs> he looked down at my hand. <laughs> so I dropped his hand. <laughs> and then he said, um, and he said, yes, yes, come, 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 come again soon. You must come. You must. And I just stood and waved. And he walked away. And I just thought, yeah, Disco Dave, take that. Yeah, take Disco that. Dave. The world, the world. I had those goggles on. And in that moment, I just felt, yeah, everything's possible. You can't explain those moments, can you? Mm. There's no rhyme or reason to that. The guy lives in Moscow. Mm. But you know what? When you start to dig a little, pretty much everybody has some examples of it. It's really interesting. You can't explain them. And yet mm. there's a brilliant episode of This American Life, which is a great podcast, where they... Oh, I love oh, that. Yeah, they, it's a classic episode. They put the call out and they said, we're doing a, a show about coincidence. 
we'd like you to call in and we don't want is it the photograph of the granny in the background the photograph of the granny in the background the 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 dollar bill with the notes on it i mean basically they didn't prep the producer so the producer hears all the stories for the first time as you're hearing them too should we put a link to this podcast it's so good it's so good and and it's one of those things that actually weirdly opens up a conversation where most people have something that they can share in that in that regard or that is um some something that they can't explain that they feel positive about but they often keep it to themselves because it feels a bit woo-woo or bonkers or something but it's kind and of as well funny. of being shut down you know that thing of like what you think that's magic what well, it's not there for you love yeah. you know that whole kind of that british thing and i have that voice inside me as you you know as you can tell from this interview i kind of i, I have to kind of work around and work with that buckers do you have something that comes into your mind like that that's happened to you yes i do i my dream job um, years ago was to was work working for real work <laughs> no it was, this was okay. before real work was, oh, was birthed so otherwise it would definitely would have been. a fan example I desperately wanted to work at this particular radio station and I'd left university and I had been working on their their street and promotions team for ages and I kept on emailing I kept on asking is there a job is there a job is there a job and they just kept saying no maybe in a few months may, maybe in a few months and it had been like two years and I was driving to work one day and I had to drive a different way because there was a there was road diversions. And as I was driving, I thought to myself, oh, this is the way I would drive to work if I worked at that radio station. And then I thought to myself, it's been two years. Maybe it's time to cut your losses, give up, try somewhere else. They're obviously never going to hire you. There's obviously never going to be an opportunity. And that very same morning, I'd been at work maybe an hour and I got an email from one of the guys at the radio station saying, guess what? A job's just come up. Here's a link to it. You'd be great. And I applied for it and I got it. And it was just so weird that I hadn't thought about it for ages. And it was just something that popped into my head because I was taking a different way to work. And I just thought, it's never going to happen. I'm just going to have to give up. Do you have any kind of like superstitions or God feelings? Do you think, oh, that's like Auntie Nelly watching over me or that's God or that's because I rubbed my lucky rabbit's foot? Like, have you got any... Did you make a connection or did you just think, lovely, lucky me? No, I sort of a little bit what um, Tia was saying earlier about pronoia. Sometimes I do think, what if that is... What if it's because it's meant for me? And I really like what you said about it not needing to be the truth because if you have this yeah. negative outlook on what if the world's against me, that's just as mm. untrue as what if the world is for me? So you may as well have the lens of what if the world is for me because it's no more or less likely to be true than than the opposite. So, but n- not really like, I didn't really think of it as any kind of higher power. It was just a really weird moment that I just happened to have that thought and then it happened and then I got it and I just thought, whoa. I... I concur. I think it's definitely really important to say there is no part of this that is saying this is the best way to do things. It's really just going, Mm. here's a pair of glasses you can put on if you need to remember that you've got a bit stuck in your the rigidity with which Mm. you see the world. Why don't you try this on? And I guess that's common to all the things that I find interesting and all the things that I now do is how do you create experiences that give you a a lived alternative viewpoint, even if it's only Mm. temporary and you decide not to use it again. I mean, I think also, Fleur, that speaks to your inquiry into 
privilege and all of the things that you're focusing on and learning it's like we can so unconsciously inhabit our perspective whether it's privileged or unprivileged and just to realize that you're seeing something through an unexamined lens I did this whole project with this neuroscientist called Bo Lotto who's quite kind of well known he wrote a book called Deviate that's all about the science of perception he's sort of three-time main TED stage speaker dude and we did a project together in New York um which was all about hair weirdly not my area of interest but a whole thing about perception and hair and the way that we make hair so meaningful which I was like really oh do we I guess we do let's go down that path but his work is all about we we wander around with millions of unexamined biases not just the ones that are cultural but the ones that are every possible kind of bias none of which we're necessarily aware of carrying so we think we see something accurately and we simply cannot it's just not possible you can't see anything as it really is because your perception is limited by various different you know biological things your 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 abstract perception is going to be limited by the language you speak by the education you've had a million different things so before you can even begin to change your perception you need to notice that you have biases first and then he talks about going from a to b isn't a direct step you have to first go from a to not a so the a to not a is the step out of the familiar and into the liminal space where it's possible at least with intention and guidance and certain tools to open up the narrowness of your thinking in order to shift into a different way of seeing and therefore making different choices. So even having the concept of this idea of what if this were for me, by the way, subtly different to what if this were meant for me, because meant for me implies fatedness, whereas for me Mm. implies what if this were perfectly configured in some way for my learning not that this had to happen but what if this were an opportunity rather than a problem for example it's like you know Fleur you were talking um, earlier about not in this but in in this morning's meeting about obstacles being the path it's the same thing it's like rather than viewing the obstacle as the reason to stop doing something it's like no the obstacle is the training the obstacle is the design the obstacle is the path and therefore that's the same question being applied there to going what is what if it were for me thanks for mentioning that because now our listeners will know that um, in our real workshops at real work when i give people um yes. my wisdom it contains it zen does. philosophy <laughs> that's good for my image it's good for my image rather a lot at the moment yeah we're getting we're going heavy that's good though that's we're a good deep and also yeah. that um I'm deep into Eckhart Tolle at the moment. I saw that. And I Buckus, love that about you. I didn't know that you know. were into him. Buckers is um, Buckers is not so much. <laughs> no, no, no. There's just there's a time and a place for Eckhart Tolle. The time I, is now. And um, oh, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you a week off. I'm gonna give you a week off. The ET. Okay. I'm gonna go back a step. What you know what popped into my mind when you were talking about different viewpoints mm. is um the the ongoing tabloid tabloidification of um Prince Harry Wales and his wife mm. versus the monarchy mm. and how that's mm. become a you know you need to pick a side because one of them's lying <laughs> and 
team Megan, if I have to pick. It's just such... <laughs> just to be but, clear. But, the, but the, all of them are telling the truth. I was talking to my mum about this. All of them are telling the truth. They're all telling their mm. truth, their, their experience truth. of yeah. the situation. It's just a big, you know, the big disconnect. They all just have different perception of the same thing. It's not a question of is one telling the truth or not. So it's a problem. It's, if you set it up like that, no one can progress. It's a roadblock that's from, from which you can never come back. And, you know, the, the rolling news cycle so much feeds into that mm. kind of thing, that high noon thing, the goodies and the baddies. And it's so unhelpful, isn't it? It's so unhelpful mm. in, these, in these conversations. Even, um, you know, talking about um, dreams and truth, you know, I did, um, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in, um, you know, Latin American um, fiction and culture. And in that, historically, in indigenous Latin American cultures, dream life, and it, and many others, but I just don't happen to know about them. Um, dream life, you know, earth reality, um, imagination, truth, you know, it's all, it's much more blurred mm. than we have it over here where sort of tr being telling lies is just like one thing below you know kill killing someone it's like a terrible crime against other people if you tell a lie to them it's like the ultimate affront but um it's blurrier than that it's not helpful to have everything real or pretend is it real or pretend it's like it's not helpful to have everything real or pretend but equally it's not helpful to everything right or wrong there's a really interesting point about myth which is myths are never as far as i understand it morally simplistic so myths are always designed to be complex and to be interrogated so that you can have a deeper understanding if you kind of a myth is not an allegory you know what i mean it's not kind of do this children and then you won't get eaten by the bad whatever they're much more open to not interpretation a tale that's right yeah and um as soon as as soon as you get really rigid in your myth as soon as you decide to make your myth the truth you end up with well, you have dogma you have dogma yeah, you and have then dog you end up with religious war essentially but if you see a story as a mechanism for deepening your relationship with an understanding then it's a much more malleable and useful thing can i take you back can i take sure. you back one jump to the religion part because what's interesting about that is the the journeys that you're describing to um, um, self-awareness and self-transcendence, if you like, and sort of connection with a higher power. That journey, which you've based your career around um, um, thinking about and assisting people on, um, all the great um, religious prophets in all major religions we're all on that same journey making considerable headway they all move the human race forward a notch in in that department mm. you know including christ but then their um specialness has just gets hijacked as you say and become and gets set into a, right. a, a set of rules people who are less evolved turn it into a set of rules and use it just to control each other and punish each other and, and get taxed which is why i'm not religious even though i have a really deep interest in um 
different kinds of religions. I'm always more drawn to the kind of mystical heart of religious understanding rather than the dogma or even the codes for living, Lost which actually yeah. there is a, there's a brilliant book by Alan Le Botton, Alan de Botton called um, Religion for Atheists. And he's much more atheist than I am. Um, I'm... If he married um, Simon Le Bon, they, he could be Le Botton. <laughs> what, what an interesting couple they'd make. <laughs> <laughs> they really would. On the front I would of a want yacht. to go to that dinner party. Yeah. But in that um, book, he talks about the fact that codified in all of the rules and regulations of religions are all sorts of things that are actually really helpful to do with emotional intelligence, to do with processing loss, to do with celebrating turning points, to do with being together as a community, to do with atoning or celebrating or any number of different things that are kind of embedded within the structural stuff that most religions have rules of engagement you know what's deemed fair how you do get punished or don't get punished there's all this stuff in place natural law are you talking about I, any number of different things i mean there's codes and morals and practices and traditions and rituals and all sorts of things that are embedded in rich in in religious practice which i personally don't feel allied to but the fact that they exist i mean okay i discovered for example there's a Christian tradition which is no longer being observed at all. I can't remember what it's called, but basically, well, is it the rolling so, the cheese down the hill? No, no sorry, it's about <laughs> it's a, it's, it takes place between three and six weeks after the birth of the baby, and it, only women are invited, and it's to celebrate the fact that the baby survived. It's not a naming ceremony. It's not about. It's not Aww. about. Um, it's about you made it through. It's it's called something. Wow. I can't remember what it's called. It's a really particular thing that would have been absolutely necessary in a time when many many people died in childbirth. And it's just that kind of thing that's like, yeah, you need one of those. You need to get together with your girlfriends and go. We didn't die, you know. And if that is set in stone and and, and you go into a church and you have a a gathering and people are relieved and they say their prayers then that makes sure that it happens as opposed to just sort of feeling the lack of that the kind of nameless sort of oh my god nothing happened but there's no way of celebrating that so on the on the plus side all of a lot of the structures that exist in those things are designed to meet those kinds of needs but, but, but then because the they get, yeah they get hijacked by the dogmatic yeah. power mongers and the baby goes out with the bathwater you lose and that's the where good I stuff do the ritual design stuff so that's where I kind of go okay I can teach you how to make up your own so for example I did one with somebody who was turning 40 and she really wanted to look back on her life in decade long chunks and do it in a proper process and go, what did I, you know, what were the journeys, the words, the pictures, the people that characterize these things? And she basically took herself, slightly guided by me, but mostly generated by herself, through a really quite detailed process of going back through, like finding one photo for each year, finding the list of names of the people, finding a word for that year, and then going all the way through and kind of going, what did I learn from each decade? What do I want to take with me? what do I want to let go of? And then she created with me a whole process that she then did over the course of a weekend with three of her best girlfriends, where she kind of celebrated her 30s. You know, they all got dolled up and had a dance and got pissed and whatever. Hot tub. I don't think there was a hot tub. Aww. But the, that kind Back of thing. partial to a hot tub. Oh, hot tubs all day, Cabana, day. You know, you know, the, you know the razzle. And then, and then had a process where she got to deliberately and intentionally let go of the things that she was happy to let go of and name the things that she wanted to take with her. And then 
kind of state her intention the things that she wanted to become in the next 40 years and she did it with the witnessing and the creative collaboration of her best girlfriends and she gave them each a role and 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 one represented the head one represented the body one represented the my uh, the heart and one represented the spirit I think and she did this whole thing where she kind of got to talk to each of those parts of herself as embodied by somebody else you know like she did this she created this whole I think thing. if I asked my friends to do that they just tease me and then I think have I, have I got the wrong friends I don't know I think me Buckers and Seema would between us gather around you and, and only and... if there's a hot tub and I, I probably feel I'd make a joke about it though wouldn't I I'd make a joke that's fine yeah. joking's fine it's not for everybody not everybody wants to do that thing but the point being that there isn't a rite of passage into menopause I've done for a, example um, i've done extensive peyote eating have which you? is uh, yeah have yeah i, I did ate not know that peyote every day for a few months <laughs> did you yeah i did yeah Blimey. and it, and you do meet god just that's the that's the um spoiler you do realise that you are just, just um, a water. part of a universal vibration and and are connected with the crafts and all that kind of stuff. So you use the G word. I'm I hover around that. Yeah, I no, don't... I'm all right with that. I'm because I really know what I mean when I say that for myself. Yeah. Kind of, I've kind of the. Um, I mean, I sparsely. I use it sparsely. I'm quite yeah. into Jesus, and there's quite a lot of stuff mm. in there, and. Um, but I wouldn't describe myself as a Christian, even though I was in the Christian church. So sometimes, sometimes um, there's an assumption that you're talking mm. about a Christian God who can um, get you stuff. Can I give you a better <laughs> word that I discovered recently that I'm really excited about? Okay, so abroon. Oh, that, dear. my friend, is Aramaic for what ultimately became so aramaic was the language that jesus spoke abroon phonetically spelt a b w h o o n means mother father birther of the cosmos or, it's, or in, God. I, I can tell it i can tell you the same word in nahuatl please the, do um ancient mexican language is um quietly qui is the person who who did quietly that qui. quietly qui is the um mother of the universe who um, had a but necklace it's... of heart human hearts and a, and a skirt made of interwoven live snakes see i love the fact that it's feminine as well or at least in yeah. the um, it's non-gendered it's both it's mm. it's it's binary you know or non-binary rather um and that to me makes a massive difference because there's something i have a huge resistance about the father thing you know just in the christian thing i don't i just don't connect with it i find myself there's, and, going, it's a, and as well when whenever i hear about that stuff i just think okay other creation stories are available you know yeah. there's 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 loads and loads you don't have mm. to sort of hunker down with that one and that's back to the point about being rigid with your myth making so if you go no it is the father and that is how it is and if you're going to talk about the mother then we're going to have to have a battle it's that kind of rigidity of thinking that leads to the problem whereas if you go well, what does it mean to you? What is a word that is useful for you? What are the cultural resonances that expand rather than contract your thinking about something vast and nameless anyway? And then you're engaging in mythic territory, essentially, which is just something that can hint at something else, not something that defines and narrowly encases it in a way that makes it a rule, but something that opens up a question rather than narrowing it down to an answer. Oh, <laughs> <Buck>. <laughs> come, 
Well, Tina drops the mic and Buckers under the under the desk. Buckers is um, texting in a jacket potato order to her to her, her mum because I despise you like because we've run over time. <laughs> I've the meters on. I've only got it for an hour. Yeah, we um to you recently Fleur and I Fleur and I discussed how we might we might consider trying to, you know, keep keep the yeah. episodes under an hour. May, maybe even around the first <laughs> marvellous <laughs> thing. Editing a editing so, um, on you. You've given me you've given so, me a real tough job. <laughs> there is at least twenty minutes again. Can you hear me? Hello, 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 Barry Manload, la la la. There's a lot of Yeah. Of Some detritus. of that was good stuff, though. We don't want. I think yeah. we needed that. Some to be honest. There's also good. you going. You can't do random acts of kindness. You've got to just pick up dog. Sh- <laughs> There's that. That could also be used. Or Should not. we get rid of the dog turd? <laughs> There's room for all different types of random acts of kindness on yes, the spectrum. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> um, Let's not finish on dog smut, though. No. All right, because that's my request. Sing song. <laughs> Kumbaya. Have we got a com- have we got a, um, a podcast award yet, Buckers? It's a matter of time, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it is only a matter of time. Oh, it's a crying shame. I think with this one, we're going to hit. We've hit the jackpot finally. <laughs> Thank you so much for being our guest. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been extraordinary. We'll write all the um, the other job that Buckers has. We'll pick through all that stuff and reference everything in the show notes for our listeners if people are interested in this can you recommend something that they read or a place they can go or they can follow you let's give a call to action sure so my website is my name.com so tudahan.com um i'm on instagram tudahan1 um there are a million interesting things you can follow and i don't feel like now is the moment to send everybody in every direction can you send send um send buckers send me an email show and i'll go and have a lie down and then i'll come back to it down. in a darkened room absolutely thanks guys what a joy thank you so much goodbye that's the end of this week's episode of the real work podcast if you want more from me before the next episode or you'd like to learn more about real work You can find me on Instagram and YouTube where I share experience and advice for women who want to work and earn on their own terms. My Instagram handle is at doreal.work and on YouTube it's realwork, all capitals, all one word. Please rate and review this podcast if you know how (laughs) and tell people about it. It all helps. Thank you for being here. See you next time. Great, that's another one in the can. Have we we're recording twice next week, aren't we? Yes, yes, we are. Okay, good. Yeah. Thanks for sorting out today, even though I wasn't at home. I know it's a bit difficult that's all to right. get together. You know, every yeah, I'm pleased with it, how it's all going though. So thanks for your Oh, there's um and there's some awards coming up which we need to think about. Obviously the podcast fun, it's fun to make, but obviously, you know, it's it's there for a reason, yeah. for a business reason. Yeah. And so we need to think about um awards and can i have your support with that to um start getting that moving yes yeah i'll um i'll start listening back to episodes and putting best bits together and um right. and uh, we can write them well it'll be a good it'll be a good you know be a good learning thing for you as well because once you've done that for ours when your podcast is ready to do that you'll you'll know how to do it so hopefully you know it's a useful thing to do as well yeah yeah absolutely i mean well, actually um our podcast 
has just been nominated for three awards, actually, at the um, the podcast awards. So, um, so that's really fun. That's that's already happened. Yes. Yeah, we entered a couple of months ago, and yeah, the other week we got a nomination for um, best comedy podcast, best female hosted podcast, and they've put us in for the People's Choice as well. So. Um, yeah, if you've got the time, actually, maybe I could send you the link and you could maybe um, vote for us, perhaps. See if we could okay. um, win win an award for my podcast that I do with my friend. For being the, the funniest. Yeah, that would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> only if you have okay. time, though. Like, if Only if you have time. Of course I have time. I'm happy for you. If you want to make a podcast that your audience will adore But the thought of making it yourself terrifies you to the core Then you know who to call Producer Buckers She knows just what to do Producer Buckers To make your podcast dreams come true She used to work in radio where she was poorly paleo A dab hand at audio Find Producer Buckers on Instagram at decibel underscore creative or click the link in the show notes. Come on, everyone. Producer Buckers, if you want to hire the best. Producer Buckers, just put it to the test. Producer Buckers, just press record and she does the 